Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's driving the conversation in California today? Every weekday at this time, we explore a topic that's making news in our state. This is the state of California. Good afternoon. This is the state of California. Doug Sovereign is off today. The California Democratic Party spent the holiday weekend at their reorganizing convention with MAGA at the top of the agenda. For more on this, we are joined live today on the KCBS Ring Central Newsline by Lincoln Mitchell, a political analyst, pundit and writer, teacher at the School of International and Public Affairs, at Columbia University and writer of the popular Substack, Kibitzing with Lincoln. He splits his time between New York and his hometown of San Francisco. Professor, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. First off, why have a meeting like this, a big organizing meeting for the Democratic Party on Memorial Day weekend? Do you think that distracts from the big message that this weekend really is observing our fallen heroes? Not particularly. I mean, it's politics and, you know, they did all the right things about Memorial Day and recognizing what Memorial Day is about. But for most Americans and most Californians, Memorial Day is about the beginning of summer and barbecues and all of that. So the politics, don't, I don't think that's a mistake particularly. Gotcha. Okay. California Democrats, very focused on anti-MAGA. Uh, it's the message that they had at the top of the agenda this past weekend. What do you think is the most critical thing the party can do to make a real impact in the presidential election? Well, in the presidential election, the party, what the party can do is raise money for other states because California is not competitive in the presidential election. In the bigger picture of defeating MAGA or setting the movement back, flip a few seats in Southern California. That's the most important thing the California Democratic Party can do. If the Democratic Party can pick up two or three seats in California, and probably in the South, you know, Orange County and some of those areas where there were competitive races, defend the incumbents and pick up a few seats around the country, only a few more. And they win back control of the House. And given that the presidential election is going to be very competitive, Donald Trump is looking like the likely Republican nominee. The Senate map is very bad for the Democrats going into 2024. Winning back control of the House is extremely important. And all the talk about MAGA and, you know, who the senator is going to be is not important. Winning a few seats, flipping a few seats in California has got to be the top priority. Do you think that this is a change in the process, in the strategy for the Democratic Party here in California? Usually it's the conservative party who likes to campaign on fear, fear mongering, right? And and now it it appears that the the Democrats are kind of taking that page of the playbook. Well, it seems that both parties are campaigning on fear. Maybe that's why Americans are so afraid all the time, right? Yeah. Um, But the the reality is that, you know, when we, when we, you know, in, in, the, in the punditry business, in the writing business, you're always encouraged to kind of say, well, it's, you know, there's this side and there's that side. But, but the reality is, is that the movement that Donald Trump created or led or whatever you want to call it, you know, in around this time in 2015, is a genuine threat to American democracy. And my criticism of the Democratic Party, not just in California, but nationally, is that they took too long to figure that out. So saying to people... You know, this is a existential threat to American democracy and ultimately to the American state. It's a very reasonable thing to say. 
And yes, it is not an upbeat message. And, you know, the data is mixed, but fear gets people to the polls. You know, if you're a pundit and you talk about being afraid of MAGA, you don't get booked on CNN. But as a political strategist, it's not a bad tactic. Governor Newsom seems eager to pick a fight with Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, Ron DeSantis, by the way, in California is running behind the polls by a lot. Uh, I think it's double digits uh, against uh, Trump, according to the polling. But Florida versus California, what if uh, Newsom will not be the Democratic nominee in 2024? What do you make of of this? Is, Is he posturing for 2028 by playing national politics, especially at the podium? I mean, he's definitely posturing for 2028. There was a moment, you know, probably around late summer, early fall of 2022, where it looked like, you know, Newsom would be the front runner if Biden didn't run. I never really believed that, partially because I always thought Biden was going to run, and indeed he is going to run. But Biden, uh, Newsom's path to the presidency is very difficult here. And the most important thing he can do to make sure he is in the running in 2028 is to do a great job as governor of California. If he decides to run for president by mid-2027, nobody's going to remember the fight he picked with Ron DeSantis, who ironically is in a similar situation. You pointed out, I mean, the last numbers I saw, he's losing almost two to one in the state of California. And, you know, that matters because there's a lot of Republican delegates that come out of California, even though people, you know, think of it as a Democratic state. So DeSantis and Newsom in the general election very well may both be on the sidelines. And it's a long way from here to 2028. And for Newsom, you know, making speeches about how California has freedom and Florida doesn't, and he's right about a lot of that, it's not going to move the needle between now and 2028. He's got to focus on being a good governor and run on that. Very good point. And you bring up the the red uh, constituents here in California. But while California is largely a blue state, and there are many powerful California Democrats on the national stage, what about powerful progressive Californians on the national stage? Who are they potentially going after as far as the vote in the polls? Well, you know, the, the Senate race to succeed Diane Feinstein is going to be a real measure of that. Because if you look at the major Democratic figures from California on the national stage, you know, Kamala Harris, Gavin Newsom, even though he's a statewide, he's not in Washington, Diane Feinstein, who, you know, she'll be there for a little while longer, uh, Nancy Pelosi, of course, the extremely powerful House Speaker. These are powerful people. These are good Democrats. They're very partisan, but they're not on the progressive wing of the party. It will be the race to succeed Feinstein, which hits Adam Schiff, who I think right now is leading in most of the polls, who comes out of the kind of mainstream Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi wing of the party against Katie Porter, and, who was a progressive, and Barbara Lee, who was very progressive. We'll really see who wins that race. If Schiff wins that race, then the argument that California is some kind of great progressive state is tough, right? I mean, there are members, Ro Khanna uh, from just down, down south of the city, Barbara Lee from the East Bay. There's certainly Katie Porter. There are progressive members. And the statewide governance is more progressive than, say, New York State, another solidly Democratic state. But it's not the radical place that the national media sometimes would like to tell. Also, parenthetically, Donald Trump got more votes in California than in any other state in the country. Hmm. I wanted to dive in a little bit on California Senator Dianne Feinstein. I mean, she's been, we've talked about her a lot uh, on KCBS. Uh, Is she fit for office? She's back on Capitol Hill. She's voting for the judges that have been held up by Republicans. I wanted to get your theory as to why you think she's not stepping down. I heard an interesting theory recently that if she stepped down, that would have Governor Newsom appointing a replacement. And then wouldn't that have to be voted on by the U.S. Senate? And isn't there a risk that somebody like Mitch McConnell could hold up that vote, not even vote? on the appointment, giving him a little bit more power in the Senate, much like he did with the U.S. Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland, right? Well, okay, so if Feinstein were to resign tomorrow, Newsom would appoint a successor. 
That's a statewide process, state in-state process, and that successor would become a member of the U.S. Senate. But Feinstein leaving the Judicial Committee would put the Democrats one vote short on the Judicial Committee. And then Chuck Schumer and the other leaders of the Senate would have to put somebody, not necessarily the new Californian, just somebody on that committee so that the Democrats would still have a majority, which could then confirm federal judges. And that's what Mitch McConnell could hold up. So having Feinstein, and, you know, respectfully, Diane Feinstein has been there for a long time. I mean, she represented my district in, in the Board of Supervisors when I was going to Catholic school in San Francisco in the 70s. But she's, it's, it's time for her to move on. But the reason, one reason to keep her there is because as long as she can vote in that judicial committee, they have the majority and they can get, uh, they can get judges confirmed. If she leaves, then there's a whole process. Can you persuade McConnell? Probably not. Can you get all 50 Democratic senators to vote to replace? Probably. But that only is on the floor, not in the committee. You have to get it out of the committee onto the floor. So unfortunately, she's kind of needed right now, despite her health, both mental and, and physical, being, you know, shall we say, less than ideal. Great analysis. Professor, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Lincoln Mitchell, political analyst, pundit, writer, teacher at the School of International and Public Affairs at Columbia University, and the writer of the popular Substack, Kibitzing with Lincoln. He splits his time between New York and his hometown of San Francisco. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.